Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Last week we studied the first two verses and we talked about living a transformed life. That after we are born again through great, by grace and faith in Christ, uh, we... This microphone is killing me. It was perfect all morning, and now it's tripping. All right. We went to Romans 12, 1 and 2, and we talked about living a transformed life. After we're born again, after we become a Christian, God doesn't just set us to the side and say, hey, sit on the church pew. He works in our lives. He grows us. He transforms us to be more like Christ. And the two points we saw from the first two verses are, number one, we saw last week to surrender in other words, to present your body a living sacrifice, to surrender yourself to Christ. And number two is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed through the study of God's word, that he will shape us into being Christ-like. And so, today's really a continuation of, um, I'm about to throw this microphone. You think it's my beard? No. Well, I'm not shaving it to us. It's not a question. You think that's it? Check one, two. If it happens again, I'm just going to throw it down and keep going. So I'm still going. So today I'm going to give you three more points. So I'm going to give you number three, four, three, four, and five to go with these first two. And we're going to see those, I hope, clearly in this text. It might have been the beard. You might say. But let's, let's read the beginning of verse one, and we'll read through verse eight this morning. If you found verse 1, say word. word. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members of one another. So I'm done with this. I'm just preaching old school today. Y'all hear me? All right, here we go. Come on. What verse of all? Thank you. Having been gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with Cheerfulness. Are you ready for these three points? This is yes. Here we go. Number, number three is humility. The third thing we need is we live this transformed life. And I think it's also a fruit of the transformed life is humility. Look with me at verse three. He says, for I say through the grace given to me. I want to talk about that phrase for just a moment. That phrase through the grace given unto me. For the apostle Paul um, God's grace in his life became the authority by which he would share grace with other people. 
It was the basis, the grace that God had given him, the work God did in his life was the basis upon which he would share with others. Isn't that true for us as well? Because God's been gracious to us, good to us, and loving to us, we can and should, in turn, share grace and love with others. And the Apostle Paul was no different. He was a great example of this. As a matter of fact, you see there in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, Through whom? Through Christ. We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. And in chapter 15, verse 15, he says, On some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. The basis of what he's saying here today is God's been gracious to him. He's going to in turn show that to them. So let's look at the middle part of verse 3. He says, uh, to, I say this to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought. Now the word man there in chapter in verse 3 is, um, it doesn't just mean just the men, right? It means everyone in the church. It doesn't mean just the elders, not just the members, not just the deacons. It means everyone in the church must not think more highly of himself than he ought. So what's the word that we're thinking of here? It's humility. Or the opposite, the negative is what? Pride. It's pride versus humility. Someone said that humility is a mark of a Christian. As Christians, we should not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Let me ask you this. If any one person who ever lived on this earth should have thought highly of themselves, who would that person be? Jesus, Jesus the Son of God. The one who could heal the sick, calm the raging sea, raise the dead. He could not. You know what? I'm the stuff. <laughs> you know, I, I can do anything. I'm the son of God. But instead, was he like that? He was a servant, wasn't he? He was a servant. He, he showed us humility, extreme humility. I mean, he washed the disciples' feet, didn't he? He laid down his life for sinners. He showed extreme humility. And as his followers, through the example of Christ, and hear the words of Paul, we're not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And the context of this text, and as we read it, is especially in the context of the church. Look at these other verses I found that just point to this, and they're up there on the screen for you, but you know this from Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I play fantasy football. Does anybody else play fantasy football in here? Probably not. Nobody? Cooper? Anybody? Nobody? So, it's fantasy football. The first week, I won my game, and I started bragging to the whole group of guys, like 12 guys, I'm bragging. I'm, I'm going to win. I'm going to be the champion. I've, I've lost three games in a row since. <laughs> and I was like, maybe I shouldn't have bragged. Maybe I shouldn't have been prideful. That verse, I found that verse to be true in my life a lot. And about the time I get arrogant about something, the Lord's like, nope. Look at the next verse. Romans eleven twenty. Do not become proud, but fear. Romans 12, 16. Live in harmony with one another. We'll see this next week. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. How about Colossians 3, 12? Put on men as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, and what? Humility. We have some more verses here. Ephesians 4. I love this passage. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with what? All humility and gentleness. 1 Peter 5, 5. Simon Peter said, clothe yourselves, put on humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And in James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you 
Um, the scripture is very clear, isn't it, that pride is an offense to God. Pride is a sin. One of the very, I would say one of the worst sins that we can have is to be prideful. And one of the best things we can have is to be humble. But even in the church, there, there are situations, and this is what this text is about, where we might feel pride or think we're better than someone else or think of ourselves more highly than we should. <clears throat> I think in general, we overrate. I think in general, most people overrate themselves or overrate their things. I, we think that, you know, my experience is better than someone else's experience. Um, or, or my, I had someone one time tell me, hey, they said, hey, Kelvin, you don't understand. I love my kids. I love them. And I was like, I love my kids too. I'm like, no, no, you don't get it. I really love my kids. It's always funny when somebody says that because I'm like, we all love our kids. 99% of people do. Of course you love your kids. It's like, your love for your kids is not better than my love for my kids. It's always, that's funny when people say that. Um, how about this one? Um, I've been coaching some bas a basketball team this year. This summer, y'all know I coach some AAU girls. I coach over 20 girls from time to time. And I noticed from parents and, of course, players, they all overrate themselves. Every parent thinks their kid is better than they actually are. I'd say 99.9% of parents think that. And that's okay. They're, they're proud of their kids. They love their kids. We should do that. But sometimes we're unrealistic sometimes as parents. And there's that, I guess, that little bit of pride that seeps in. How about this one? I was in church one time. This lady, she was probably the oldest lady in her church. And she walked up to me. And very thankful lady in church. And she said, Kelby, she said, should we talk a little bit? She said, I want you to know something. She said, I am, and I promise this happened. She said, I am really humble. <laughs> and I was like, and then she said this. She didn't stop there. She said, I'm probably, she looked around and said, I'm probably the most humble person in this church. <laughs> and I was like, and in my heart, I was, like, I was thinking, I don't believe you. <laughs> because as soon as you say that, right, are you really still humble? You know, if you're saying that. The most humble people I've ever met have never stood up and said, I'm really humble. They, you just see it in their lives, don't you? You see it by their actions. You see it by their attitude. And that, that's always stuck with me. We must not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. The humility of Christ should just be displayed in our lives as we go from day to day. Let's look at the last part of verse 3. It says, but to think, don't think more highly than you should, but think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. To, to think soberly is to, is to have sound Judgment, sound mind. Uh, Friday night, we got behind a roadblock, and a couple cars got pulled over, and we got, people were getting out. And I, I told Jesse, I was like, those people are not sober. You know, they're, about get, they're about to get in trouble. But, but to think soberly, to think of a sound mind. And a sound mind is not prideful thinking. A sound mind is to be able to rightly judge ourselves and to say, because I realize who I am and I realize who God is, I must be humble. I must realize that he must increase and I must decrease. He must be uh, first. But he goes on here and he says in that verse, this is interesting, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. This is kind of the gist of the passage. God, and this is not, by the way, saving faith. This is God giving faith in gifts, in spiritual gifts that we might serve him. And he says here, God... According to his own will, gives to every person this measure of faith to serve him. So, look at a couple of other texts. Because Paul wrote the same stuff in Corinthians, Ephesians, and in and Colossians. But 
In 1 Corinthians 7, 17, he says, Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned him to and to which God called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Some people, some people want to be maybe you know, the, the singer on the stage, but you know maybe God has blessed you in that way, right? Uh, some people want to be the preacher, and you know I'm, just not, I'm not called to do that. I wouldn't want to do that anyway, unless you call me. But some people might want to do this in the church or do that in the church, but God is the one who decides what we do in the church. Amen. He's the one who gives us and assigns us. Look at Ephesians 4. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So we're going to see in a few minutes that, that we all have this gift, a gift of some kind as Christians to serve the Lord, but our gifts should not cause us to feel superior to the next person. And that's a, that's a, that's a big deal. Some people might think, well, just because I'm a great singer, I'm one of the special people in the church. That's just an example. Or just because I give the most money, I'm a special person in the church. Whatever it might be, but we must realize that that's not humility at all. That's a pride thing. I'll be honest with you, some of the most arrogant men I've ever known were pastors, who I think loved the, maybe the power of being a leader. I also say this, some of the most humble men I've ever met are pastors as well, and I, I, those are men I appreciate and think about often. There's so much more here in this, this one verse we've looked at, but the idea is, in the church setting, amongst each other, we should be humble, putting others ahead of ourselves, and there's no better place to read than Philippians 2. I know it's a small writing, but listen to this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. What would happen if we did this right here? Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The mind of Christ is a mind of humility. And we need to, as best we can, copy that attitude of Christ. Let's look at our fourth point. We'll see this in verses 4 and 5, and these last two points will be faster than that first point. But I emphasize the middle part of this verse, for as we have many members in one body, and then look at chapter, verse 5, so we being many are one body in Christ. Paul likes this metaphor of the body as a metaphor for the church, doesn't he? We are the body of Christ. Christ is the head and we are, we are the body. Now, there's other texts uh, that show this uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. Uh, it talks about the body having many members, but we're all uh, together as, as the body of Christ. Look at Ephesians 4. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. So this is a point that I think we need to revisit and we're going to revisit this not only today, but in the next few weeks here in our church. The idea of being unified as a church. And to say that the church is a body means that the church is to be unified. Would you agree with that? A body is unified, right? I mean, hopefully, 
Did all of you bring your body with you this morning? Pretty much your whole body came with you, I hope. Uh, pretty much. Your mind might not be here, but your body is there. The church is to be unified together. I was thinking about that this week and how. And recently, I was watching those September 11, 9-11 videos. Y'all watch those every year. When it gets back to 9-11, I usually go back and watch a few videos or documentary. And do you remember what it was like right after 9-11? The country was, like, unified, at least for a moment. I think about the baseball game where the president threw out the pitch at Yankee Stadium, and I mean, Lee Greenwood singing, singing, you know, "Proud to Be an American." It was just a, for a moment in time, because of that tragedy, the country was unified. Have we been unified since? Probably not, right? There's a big difference in a group that's unified and not unified. I've seen families that are united and come together, even around difficulty, and work things out. I've also seen families who are divided who you're like, you know what, maybe they shouldn't spend time together because they can't get along. I've seen sports teams who are united and the coaches say, we won the game because we all played together, we worked together. I've seen teams that were divided and they're like, well, we just, they can't win because they won't play with each other, play together. How about churches? I've seen churches that are united around Christ and around this singular mission to serve Christ. And those churches usually grow and do great things. I've also seen churches that struggle and divided and even split. What does it say to the world when a group of believers in church um, is not unified? What does it say about Christ to the world, false world, when they see a church not unified together? It may cause disservice to the name of Christ if the church isn't together. Look at this Psalm 133.1. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. One of Jesus' very last prayers in John 17, he said, I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So to say that the church is a body means that we're unified, but also to say that the church is a body means that we are meant to be together. We all know this. We've talked about it before, but who is the church? We are, right? It's not this building. I love our building. I love it. But the building is not. It's a church building, but we are the church. The church is the called out assembly, the ecclesia in the New Testament, the called out people. We are the church, and we are a group of people who confess Jesus as Lord, and we've committed together by joining this church to serve him together and and so I think it's important, and again, we're going to discuss this in the, in the next month here in our church, but it's important to understand that when you commit to being a part of this body, you join this church, you commit to being an active part of this body. And I don't know if we've always made that clear, but, but we, we should. It's not, it doesn't make any sense to be an inactive church member. As a matter of fact, I don't think that's in the Bible. I don't think you can go to the whole New Testament and find an inactive church member. Um, I think there are church members who know Christ and who are part of the church, and then there are people who are lost who don't know Christ in the Bible. But we've kind of blurred these lines. There's all these different, I guess, these different categories now. Um, but we, we talked about it on Wednesday night a couple weeks ago, and someone said, you know, it's kind of like if you cut your finger off. If, you, if, if the doctors get it quick enough, right, they can, they can reattach it, or somebody part, you know, they can reattach it, right? If they don't get it quick enough, what happens? It's, it's not useful anymore. Pretty good illustration, right? And that, that's kind of like people in church sometimes. If 
you get out of church, you get away from the body for so long, then, then you become useless for Christ in a sense because you're not part of that body. And also, by the way, it hurts the body because the body depends on you. You might be that thumb the body needs, but if you're gone, then that, that church is suffering because of your absence. We need each other. That's the point of the body is that each member needs to go. The scripture says, you know, does the ear say to the nose, you know, I don't need you? No, but they all, we all, each part needs the others. And I know that we live in a weird time right now, right, with COVID. I understand that. I know people miss church for different reasons, and that's part of life. You know, sometimes we go on trips, sometimes we feel sick. Um, and obviously, some people have medical conditions and can't make it. Some people have to work on some days at times. And I, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying, in general, do you have a desire to be with God's people? Someone also said this on that Wednesday night, we discussed this. They said, it should bother you to miss church. Well, that was a pretty good quote. If we're not around the people of God and it doesn't bother us, that's probably not a good sign. First John says, if we love God, we will love the brothers, the church. We can't love people that we're not around, at least once a week, right? Look, very simply put, there are some basic expectations of us as church members, and this includes pastors. Uh, number one is to faithfully learn and obey the scriptures. Number two is to regularly attend, be with each other. Number three is to regularly give of yourself. I think these are the minimal expectations for us as believers. So we are unified. We should be together that we might do the role God has for us to do. And that leads me to my fifth point uh, and final point this morning. We need to be active in our church. Look at verse 6. He mentions here the different gifts that God gives. And this is not an exhaustive list, but it's, it's a pretty good list. And as you listen to these different truths, these different spiritual gifts, understand that God has given you a spiritual gift of some kind, at least one. And there's no reason to, to covet other people's spiritual gifts, but to discover what God has made you to do and to use that to edify the church. So a few of these, uh, a few of these gifts. First, in verse 6, he mentions prophecy. And here when he says prophecy, he's talking about proclaiming. It's proclaiming information to the community that God has revealed. It's proclaiming information to the church um, in a way to edify the church. And that prophecy must always be judged by the, by the word of God. If someone stands up in our church and says, I'm going to prophesy, and they say something that's against scripture, that's not prophecy. right? That's not true. That's not acceptable uh, for us as a church. In verse 7, he goes on and he talks about service. This is practical service. The word here is the same word that we get deacon from. It means to wait tables, to be a servant. Um, some of you are excellent servants. You just have a heart for that, for seeing things that need to be done and, and doing those things. Sometimes servants go unnoticed, but servants usually don't care that much. They just have a heart that wants to serve anyway. My wife, I think, is in that mode of a servant who will pick up the trash that other people might not pick up, right? She'll talk to the people that other people might not talk to. Um, in a sense, we should all be servants, but this is talking about that person who's especially gifted at serving. Jesus, in Mark 10, 45, it says, He came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. 
In verse 7, it goes on and talks about teaching. That's instruction. That's those in the church who, who, who teach and have been gifted in that way. Verse 8, he talks about those who exhort. To exhort means to, to encourage people to do what is right. And I hope I do that as a preacher, and I hope some of you do that as well, encouraging each other to do the right things. The next one there is contributing or giving in verse 8. This is straightforward, sacrificial, no ulterior motives, giving. Some of you are gifted in this way, and I, I've already seen it in some of your lives. And I, I definitely wouldn't call your name out, but I know there are multiple people in this room right now who even recently have given to others in need to help them. Some of you are blessed in that way. Verse 8 also talks about people who lead, doing so diligently. This talks about elders and overseers and leaders of the church doing so diligently and, and faithfully. He also talks there in verse 8 about people showing mercy with cheerfulness. These are people who are just kind of gifted at just being merciful. Gifted at just seeing a need and meeting someone's need. So, what is your spiritual gift? You know, if you think of it, you, do you think of like, what is it that you can do in the church that makes other people better? What do you contribute, I guess, is the question. And again, like I said, I believe every Christian, God gets at least one gift. Um, we have to be, but the, the point is, we need to discover what our gifts are, and then, as best we can, practice those gifts in the church especially. We can do them outside the church as well, but the context here is that we do these gifts in the church. For some of you, it's encouraging. Some of you have already this morning, and before you leave again, you will encourage someone with a word you say, or a hug, or just something like that. You will give encouragement. For some of you, it is, again, it's, as I said earlier, it's giving to meet needs. For some of you, it's wisdom. You're able to kind of just share wisdom from things you've learned over the years. What is your gift? Whatever your gift is, you should be thankful God gives it, and, and we should all do our gifts to the best of our God-given ability. And we ought not to be prideful of other people's gifts. That's the point of this passage. To be humble regardless of who has what gift in the church. I read this week about um, John, is it Hinkley? Hinkley? John Hinkley. You know who that is? Remember John Hinkley? He did something tragic. What did he do? Shot he shot Reagan. In March of 1981, I was two months old. And so I don't remember it, but John, he was actually, he's been, he's not in jail, but he's been under supervision. Now they're going to release him, I guess, under, out from under some of his restrictions. Um, of course, he was, he was, what, insane, right? Or he was not guilty by insanity, but anyway. Um, here's the point of that. When Reagan was shot, he was in the hospital for a few weeks. You know, remember, I don't know, a few weeks at least, a month. What did the country do while Reagan was in the hospital? Did the country keep going? Yes. It did, right? The country's kind of set up that way. The government's kind of set up that way. Actually, they didn't miss a beat. It was set up in such a way that things just kept on rolling along. So then I want to compare that with another story I read about Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, when the garbage collectors went on strike. I don't remember when that was. But the garbage collectors went on strike in Philadelphia, and it was like not long, a couple of weeks into it, the city was just like a big trash pile. And someone did a study and said that all the garbage collectors in the country went on a strike. In three weeks, the country would be in chaos. 
Mm-hmm. So I was like, What's, who's more important, the president or the garbage collector? <laughs> it kind of sounds like the garbage collector. Especially now, but anyway. But, somebody got that. But, the point is this. It doesn't matter what position we have in the church. I've known people that would not go to the church, a church, unless they had a position. i got to have a position or I'm going to go down the road to another church. People have visited here, I believe, I believe, and been like, where if I can find a position there? And they usually end up going down the road. But the point is, it's not our position, it's not even our role. The point is to do whatever God's called us to do. And to do it with humility, to do it with love, to do it with mercy, to do it with compassion, and to do it diligently. There's beauty in the unity of the church. When we come together, united, though we're different, in this room, we're so different in many ways. Um, some of us we live in different places. Some drive a long way to get here. Not even just me, others drive a good distance to get here. We, we have different likes. We, you know, we're different in some ways, but the unifying thing is, I hope, Jesus Christ. We're unified around him and what we should do for him. So let me ask you this as I conclude. How does God accomplish his will in the church? How will God accomplish his will in this church? Ephesians 4 gives us the answer. I have the scripture I'll think of there for you. It says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. God gives leaders and teachers in the church who will teach the word that we all might be equipped to know God and know him more, that we might do the ministry, do the work of the church. And when we do that, what is built up? The body of Christ. And in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, look at that scripture with me. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Church, we have a privilege and a responsibility, don't we? To take the gifts that God's given us, the life God's given us, and in the church setting, Use those gifts, use that, the way we've been equipped to help the body grow by our service. It is a privilege and it is a responsibility. And I hope we will just, for a moment this morning, think about how serious that is for our church. And I don't care if you have 500 people in the church or 30 people in the church. If we get a hold of this truth, it's going to make the church better. It's going to make the church a church that will glorify God. That will be strengthened, and I believe that God will also add to that church as well as the church is being strengthened. Let's review our points real quick. Five principles for a transformed life. First, we must present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice to surrender to Him. Second, we must be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We need a new mindset. We don't need a worldly mindset. We need a godly mindset. I was thinking this morning... On the drive down here, where are the people who are Romans 12, 2 people? Where are the people who are not conformed to this world, 
but are, who are transformed by the renewing of their minds. Number three, we must be humble. We need humility. We need to make sure we see ourselves in line of who God is and see ourselves rightly with sober judgment. Number four, we need to be unified with the church, which means we need to be together and unified. And number five, we need to be active in the church, seeking to serve God in whatever way he has gifted us. Are you living a transformed life? I pray we can all say this morning, yes. I'm not perfect. I don't have it all figured out. I've got a long way to go. But as best I can, I'm following Christ. And I'm being, being moldable that he might shape me into the Christian I need to be.